Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hello, this is Cheryl Grant. I'm Director of Social Networking for Haystack. Today we're talking to Chris Gutierrez about connected learning, specifically about insights from her work within the Connected Learning Research Network. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Chris is Professor of Literacy and Learning Sciences and holds the inaugural Provost Chair at the University of Colorado Boulder. Her research examines learning in designed learning environments with particular attention to students from non-dominant communities and English learners. Um, Chris, let's just jump right in. Um, perhaps you could start off by describing the mission of your Connected Learning Research Network research. What's your favorite part about your work? Oh, this has been such a wonderful opportunity for us. Uh, for many years, I've had um, designed environments that bring youth, elementary and middle school youth together with university students around kind of gaming and new media activities. And CRLN has allowed me to really kind of study and design for um, how, what happens with these tools and practices that these youth develop in these settings and how do these tools and practices travel across settings to their homes. And so we've had the opportunity to really kind of follow youth for, across multiple environments and in particular to look at the new media practices of low-income families, um, what I call families, families from non-dominant communities, particularly Latino families. And so this work has really... Uh, I think allowed us allowed us to really rethink the role of the everyday in learning. So connected learning is about meaningful learning, but everyday learning is just fundamentally essential to deep kinds of learning, to consequential forms of learning. So we have the opportunity to both learn to, uh, I think we're theorizing better what connected learning looks like, but in particular, we're getting to understand in a very, very careful way, you know, how to leverage youth everyday practices, how to leverage that everyday expertise so that they can use it across tasks and settings in much more meaningful ways. So, so I think we're getting an opportunity to really study what connected learning looks like on the ground. And not to just think about it as a one-way street. In studying the everyday uh, lives of these um, families from non-dominant communities and understanding their new media practices, um, one of the things I'm trying to do is to push on kind of deficit notions of these families. And we're really trying to privilege um, the ingenuity at work in these families. Families are very resourceful and creative in using these new media tools, particularly like our mothers who are using the smartphones in multiple ways as, at, to leverage lots of new information and to expand their kind of networks of understanding. So for, for me, it's a really important opportunity to start to reframe families' practices and the practices of youth from non-dominant communities from traditional ways of thinking about it to thinking about the ingenuity at work in these youth practices and families as well. 
What are the desired outcomes of connected learning? Or in other words, how can we tell if connected learning is successful? Oh, good question. That's a $20,000 question. Um, well, I guess the first question we would ask is, um, successful for whom, right? So for me, um, connected learning has to be successful first with the very with the target population. Is it meaningful to them, and can it be leveraged in other spaces? So for me, it's about successful. For me, will mean consequential learning. It has consequences for the youth as well as for their participation in a range of spheres. Right? For me, that's, that's how we will know if connected learning is actually taking place, if it's taking hold and, and moving across settings, right? Can it travel? Can it be leveraged? Is it consequential? Can it be grafted onto new experiences? And does it expand people's repertoires? For me, if connected learning is just doing the same old thing, if I'm not expanding, helping youth expand their repertoires toward new ends, then I'm not, I don't think that's the notion of connected learning that we're interested in. So for me, connected learning, successful connected learning, involves expansive forms of learning, right? Expansive, meaningful, consequential, right? And actually future-oriented. So that the kinds of learning that happens in connected learning isn't just for today, it's to develop new futures, right? New possible futures in which youth can imagine themselves doing things in fundamentally different ways using new tools and practices. So what are some of the ways you mentioned um, consequential learning? I, I love that way of thinking about it, but what are, what are some examples or some ways you're seeing youth bridge the, the typically separate worlds of in-school learning and, and out-of-school learning? Right. Um, there's a range of ways, I think, I mean, from my graduate students to the youth with whom we work. So I'm going to just uh, um, push back just a little bit on the bridge metaphor, um, because for me, the bridge metaphor means that, uh, usually means in school settings, that I'm going to use my tools as a bridge to get to somewhere else's, which is more valued. So um, I think it's about bringing our toolkits valuing them, making them meaningful and the object of study into new places. So uh, bridge doesn't get it for me, right, because that's too separate. I think that people move in and across settings of everyday life and things travel with them, and we want to make that uh, more uh, explicit and to, um, and to help youth support that movement. So I use the metaphor as learning as movement. Mm -hmm. And I use that metaphor because I think it forces us to attend to what takes hold as people move in and across the everyday practices of their lives. And that what takes hold is, uh, is that kind of expertise. And it's a kind of expertise that is never really valued in schools. So for example, um, I've worked for a long time with youth from migrant farmer group backgrounds, right? Who, who, um, who have deep experiences ar around what it means to be migrant, right? And one of the things that has been very helpful is to, is to um, 
help them kind of tell their story, historicize who they are through the use of kind of digital stories and digital storytelling, what we call testimonios. And it is through the construction of these stories that these youth begin to historicize their experience, right, to understand their experience as immigrants and migrants, but to tell their story in new ways so that they become what we call historical actors or designers of their own future. So we've used a range of tools that connect, help youth connect um, not just their everyday practices, but to link their own local practices with historical practices so they can really understand much more deeply the consequence of their own lives how to, and how to intervene in it in more productive ways. And would you say that the vision of connected learning addresses English language learners? And you've been talking um, obviously about, uh, uh, you were mentioning early non-dominant learners. Are there any differences when it comes to implementing connected learning in environments where English isn't a domi dominant language? Yes, if I understand the question um, correctly, one of the things that new media practices allow in these settings, especially these design settings that we have, is that in most learning environments, um, English is unmarked. That means it's normative and it's privileged. And so their home language or vernaculars or, or registers are marked, which means they're positioned as different. And so youth then become more hesitant to leverage their full linguistic toolkit. In these kinds of environments, these connected learning environments, we actually privilege a student's full linguistic toolkit, right? And so what happens is when you're be, we're able to draw on these and to make the home language, the vernaculars um, unmarked, then they become resources for youth to make sense of their world and to leverage. And I think that's a fundamental difference, and I think that's a real hallmark characteristic of connected learning is that it draws on people's full toolkits, social, cultural, and linguistic, and social, cultural toolkits to learn. So I, I think uh, most of us are familiar with the concept of growing your expertise within a particular vertical, but your research calls for growing horizontal re expertise. Can you explain that concept for us and, and why it's important for today's learners? Sure. Schools definitely privilege vertical forms of developing vertical forms of expertise, and that's good. We like that. We need that. Um, generally, what that means in school-like settings is that um, expertise is uh, a movement from expert to novice or um, a, a deepening of a particular disciplinary domain learning math better, learning science better and more deeply. And those are important, but it's usually the only dimension that's figured into learning. And work like mine and others are trying to say development must also account for the kind of hor horizontal expertise that's developed, the, that the way we think about development has been short-sighted. And so horizontal expertise is, is just another way of saying that um, as people move across their, their everyday practices, right, they develop 
toolkits. They, they develop ways of seeing and ways of knowing that are absolutely central to meaningful and consequential learning. So we privilege that kind of horizontal expertise. It's tied to that notion that I said earlier about learning as movement, um, to pay attention to the kind of interactions and activities um, that, that people are involved with in which they really learn powerful and meaningful things. For example, the migrant students with whom I work, crossing the border, there's so much learning involved in crossing the border uh, in every sense of the word. A lot of expertise about so many things is developed, and yet that knowledge is rarely factored into the kind of learning that's valued in school settings. So horizontal learning, um, again, really privileges the everyday. And it's not just about youth. Um, as a researcher, I really try to develop my horizontal expertise, in the, and I do that by living interdisciplinarily. So that movement across borders, whether it's literal borders or intellectual borders or new activities, that's what horizontal learning is about. It's not just one thing. And the, the, the more you engage in horizontal learning, the more expansively you're learning. And can, can you tell me how horizontal expertise ties in with connected learning? Yeah, exactly. That's a really good question because I think that um, connected learning is is trying to make visible that interest-driven, that everyday, that really relevant and meaningful kind of learning. So I think what horizontal expertise brings to connected learning is just a, a way to better theorize how people learn. So I'd say that there, in many ways, um, Interest, so interrelated because connected learning depends on leveraging people's horizontal knowledge and helping them develop horizontal expertise. And is, is that one of the pressing issues when it comes to updating education for the 21st century? What do you feel are some of the most pressing issues and, and what, what can be done about addressing these? Yes. Oh, where do I begin? Well, I mean, Education today still privileges what we call assembly line forms of instruction and learning in which there's the, what is to be learned is already known. There's very little room for experimentation, for questioning, for creativity, and for play. And yet we know that play and the imaginary situation are so essential to deep learning. So today education really still privileges very traditional models in ways that I think encapsulates learning. That is, it fragments learning from everyday life and from the meaning people hold for learning, right? And so um, this kind of education um, is really fostering ways in which learning is becoming increasingly disconnected and in inequitable, right? Um, because it's privileging particular kinds of knowledge and expertise. So um, I think we need to really rethink the, what we understand about, about how people learn uh, and instead really think about ways in which uh, we think about learning as designing, as becoming designers of one's own future, right? Um, I, I think this is essential in a democratic society because schooling 
is supposed to have been one of our hallmark democratizing functions. And yet, the way schooling gets delivered, its purposes, I think no longer resemble the kind of um, democratizing function that schools have. And I, I think connected learning is really helping us kind of push back on what meaningful, consequential learning looks like. And it's got a very pragmatic feature, too, because it's not just about making it fun and relevant. It's the way people learn. And it's the way people learn in ways that they can utilize that information in the workplace, in their careers, in their communities, and beyond. So I say that we need to really push on this encapsulation of schooling and new media, digital tools, and just new forms of participation are going to help rupture the way schools are encapsulated today. I feel like the, the next question I wanted to ask you, I feel like you answered it really nicely. And I, I wonder if in your last question, you actually touched on a lot of this. And I wonder if you could go a little deeper into this idea of um, how our education system and the way we think about learning in general, how must it evolve, and, and particularly in that design learning space that you're talking about, how must it, how mu how must it evolve in order to deal with an economy where opportunity gaps are continuing to grow. Right. Um, well, there's, there's so many ways I can answer that, so I'm trying to think of how to make it as coherent for you as possible. Um, I mean, first of all, we need to acknowledge who our youth are in general and how youth live. I mean, today's youth move in and across a range of contexts, right, um, leveraging um, also a range of, high, uh, of, of multimodal tools and participating in hybrid practices, right? And schools absolutely do not recognize that at all. It doesn't even account for the, 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 dynamic, the dynamic nature of youth learning. Um, and, so, and so what happens in schools right now is that they don't know how to both harness and leverage that kind of expertise that youth have, right? So, I mean, I think a fundamental, one of the first steps is that schools need to understand who students are today and, and what are the practices that give meaning to those youth, right, as a foundation for really developing rich forms of learning. So ask, ask me more, because I think you were getting at something else. Well, I think you're you're answering it in in what connected learning refers to as the fourth R in education, which is relevance. So designing education that is relevant. So why do you feel this need for relevance is so important to um, to a young person's learning and education? Well, first of all, I think it has relevance kind of um, addresses a range of issues. One fundamentally, it's about meaningful engagement. Right, you can't have sustained participation in activity if you don't have are engaged in something that has relevance for you immediately and in the future. So I think just in terms, very straightforwardly, in terms of engagement, um, youth have to be participating in practices that matter to them, that have implications for who they are and who they want to become. So that's fundamental, I mean, designing for engagement. But I also have to go back to the earlier notion I said is that 
it's essential uh, to deep learning. If we aren't drawing on the kinds of experiences and meanings and values and expertises that you have, that youth have, and connecting them to school-based concepts, not only are they not going to engage, you're not going to have expansive forms of learning. So it has huge consequences for do you want assembly line kinds of learning or do you want learning for the future, right, in which people are creative, innovative, and not just stuck on traditional notions of what learning counts as, but people who are thoughtful, creative, generative, designers. Those are the kinds of people we need for the future, right? And so everybody benefits from that. Um, and it, it positions youth to be agentic, right, and have fundamentally important roles in imagining their own futures. And, and without kind of that fourth R, the relevance part, then I think we're designing schools for another past century. We're not designing for the future. And maybe, um, maybe this is a good opportunity to ask you if you have a favorite connected learning story, whether it's um, a young person or an educator or yourself that you'd like to share with us. Well, right now in my designed uh, environment called El Pueblo Magico, we have youth developing a range of kinds of, um, of tools, uh, from making and tinkering to um, doing game design. And one of the most exciting things is following these youth into their homes and seeing how they're um, not just leveraging what they're learning in these in these spaces, but they're actually drawing on the kinds of experiences that they see at home to bring back into this setting. So they'll say things like, oh, my dad do does that. I saw my dad fixing that circuit. So one, it's given them new knowledge about that practice, but also they're seeing that some of those things occur in the homes and that, and that these valued practices are not just part of school, but they're part of their, also their home environment. And bringing those two things together is just exciting aha moments for kids when they start to make all these connections. So we see, we, we, you know, we're seeing that, especially as we're analyzing our data, we're starting to see more of that. Um, I think the other kind of experience that I think is has been fascinating for us to see is, is to see how families are experiencing connected learning as they're using, because they don't have computers, they don't have broadband, but how they're using the smartphone to leverage information that was previously not accessible to them. So if they're immigrants, they're learning about the immigration process. You see them um, using their smartphones for recipes, and you're seeing them draw on a whole range of, of kinds of knowledge that they're bringing back into the home and um, infusing them in everyday practices. So just seeing that movement of information and how it changes practices is, is what I think connected learning is about. And is there, um, of, the, of the connected learning principles, is there one that is, is particularly exciting to you? Well, I, I'm going to say one that I think is, for me, uh, um, I think it's a principle that cuts across all of, all of our work in connected learning, and that's about equity. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say it's not just a principle and that it cuts across everything is that 
fundamental to at least for the for us who are part of the network is that this is not about re, just reprivileging tools and repurposing them for the same old reason for the same populations it's about thinking about how we can rupture old ways of youth um having act, redesigning the way the pathways that youth have um to engage in new kinds of activities um and and trying to open up those the, the way we imagine new spaces that will attract engage um youth from non-dominant communities Chris, thank you so much about for talking to us about connected learning. Um, I know that there may there might be people who would like to to follow your work and know a little bit. Is there any event or news or publication or um, or your Twitter handle something that you'd like to share with people before we end our our interview? Well, I hope first of all that they'll go to our connected learning um, page and to see the kinds of activities that we're interested in um, and um, and to read about some of the things that we have been reporting on across the network. I mean, that's that's the very first thing, because I think that we want people to join us in thinking about how to both theorize and bring to life these notions of connected learning. Um, I have a range of articles and things that people can certainly look on my website at, at University of Colorado and um, understand more of the, of the kinds of things that I'm really interested in, from how do you design these environments to how do you do research and how do you study some of these issues. To join the conversation, there's so much room for everyone to help us think about these really important ideas. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate the time and, and thank you for, for sharing Connected Learning with us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.